What's going on, everybody? Caleb Carter here, and you are listening to the Royal Pursuit Podcast. And today, we wrap up another three-part series, taking a look at the life of Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Every time we see Mary, she's at the same place, Jesus' feet. But today, the conclusion of her story, it is so much different than the previous two times. And so we're going to unpack that. Expect to have a conversation about how much is life worth to you. What about life eternal? We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to take a look at the words of Jesus, and we're going to grow together. So let's jump in. Okay, well, here we go. Looking at the life of Mary, these three different events where we find Mary at the feet of Jesus. Each time is radically different than the the previous. And I just want to stop real quick before we jump in and encourage you to learn this discipline of seeking the scriptures daily. I think so many of us choose not to even try because we think it's an all or nothing thing. As if I've got to be there an hour every morning or every evening, but even just starting small with five minutes a day can radically change how you view the scriptures and what you might learn from it. For me, I saw this just in my daily reading. I wasn't looking for it. And I don't know that I would have found it had I just gone in looking for a specific teaching. It was a neat experience. And that's kind of how I spend most of my time in my mornings. When I first wake up, I'll stretch, I'll go and pray. And then I'll just read. I'll read without any intention wherever I'm at in the Bible. And I'll do that for about 30, 45 minutes. After that time, then I'll choose to kind of step into more of a guided study. And it's there that I'll research for a sermon or for a podcast or for a study that I'm doing. And don't get me wrong. I love the study element. I love looking for patterns and themes and researching the Hebrew and the Greek But there is something powerful about just wandering through the scriptures as if you were dropped off in a national forest park and you're just kind of wandering around. You'll never know what you might stumble across. And so I just want to encourage you there to create a habit of just going to the scriptures, learning to immerse yourself in them, and ask good questions. And that's a skill set. It takes time. And I do believe praying before you read the scriptures is such a good posture to have, to ask God to reveal truth to you, to be able to see something new in the text. So that's just kind of my little two-minute soapbox before we jump in. But now what we're going to do is we're going to look at this last event with Mary at the feet of Jesus. The first time Mary broke through the monotony and the mundane of just the day-to-day. She could have been busy just like Martha. She could have served and totally missed the forest for the trees, but she didn't. She saw Jesus, and she fell at his feet, and she just listened. To me, that was, a, that was falling at his feet in humility, willing to put life on hold. The second time we see Mary, it's completely different. Mary has fallen at Jesus' feet in trust. Everything in her world is falling down around her. Her brother Lazarus has died, and she's mourning. She's frustrated. She's angry. Um, and the only thing she can do is fall at Jesus' feet. And we talked a little bit about how It's hard to fall at Jesus' feet in these singular events where something catastrophic happens. And if we can create a posture of just going to Jesus' feet on the daily, 
when those catastrophic events happen, we have more of a framework. We have more of a relationship with Jesus, just like we see Mary doing. And I think this next event kind of builds on that idea in John chapter 12, verse 1. So let's go ahead and read it, and we'll unpack it. And I want you to pay attention to how closely this resembles the first event where Mary falls at Jesus' feet in Luke chapter 10. So let's jump in and listen closely. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Okay, so that's the story. There's some elements that I think mirror the first event that we see in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. One of them is Jesus is at this house, and he's eating, and he's visiting, and there's a room full of people all around him. Where is Martha? Well, she's serving. That's what Martha does. And where is Mary? Well, she's at the feet of Jesus. That's what she does. And then on top of that, Mary is criticized for her actions at the feet of Jesus, just like she was criticized for her actions at the feet of Jesus in Luke chapter 10. And so there's a lot of parallels to me in this. And you might be thinking, that's a little bit far-reaching. You're like, you're kind of grasping at straws. But I don't think so. I think I think the text is in, intentionally creating these connections. And so let's unpack this for a moment. Martha's doing her thing. She obviously knows Jesus, and this is, this is how Martha does her thing. This is how Martha is wired. And Lazarus is sitting there with Jesus, and Mary comes in and pours this bottle of pure nard on Jesus' feet. Now, the thing you have to understand about nard is that it was this perfume that was created from an oil that they harvested from these plants. And these plants were only available in northern India. And so the scarcity of that product drove up the prices incredibly. And Mary has a large quantity of it, like a pint, I think it says. Yeah, a pint of pure nard. And in the in the notes, it says that this would have been valued at somewhere around 300 denarii. And to kind of put some context around that, that would have been like a common wage, a common yearly wage for just the, the, the regular Joe. So I'm assuming we could look at this and think fifty to $60,000 a year. Irregardless of how much it was actually worth then compared to today, what we see is that it is extremely valuable. And to be pouring it on someone's feet, just like all of it, seems to be reckless and radical. And that's kind of Judas's posture. Now, granted, we can see that Judas has got all motives, but we can understand that this is a pretty radical thing to do. And that's what we want to unpack today. How do you get to this place, this place where you're willing to give up everything for Jesus? Because, you know, if we look at the three occurrences of Mary, the first time that she's meeting Jesus, she's just wanting to learn. She's putting life on hold. 
The second time, she's throwing all of her pain at his feet. Like, I don't know what to do with this. You're going to have to take it from me. But this time is different. Mary is saying something with her actions. And we really need to take a close look at this. Uh, I remember listening to Matt Chandler. He's the pastor of the Village Church down in Texas, Plano, Texas, I think, or Flower Mound, Flower Mound, Texas. And he talked about the way that we spend our money and our time is like a spiritual MRI. It tells the world or it tells God about our heart, where our heart is. And we see passages that remind us of this when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in this moment, Mary is making a statement about where her heart is. And for us, we think, man, I could never do that. But her brother has just been raised from the dead. And so you have to sit there and think, how much is a human life worth to you today? If somebody raised your brother or your child from the dead, what kind of price could you put on that? But even more than that, just simply being raised from the dead, what if Mary gets it, gets that Jesus is the full Messiah, like knows it internally, not just, you know, this knowledge that I I intellectually understand the concept, but she believes it wholeheartedly. She believes that she has eternal life and the Messiah is here. How much is that worth to you? And so in this moment, we see Mary giving up essentially everything. I can't imagine that she has a whole bunch more nard back at home. She's, she's, she's saying that nothing else matters, that you are worth so much more than anything I possess. And, and you know, we, we, again, we see these hints throughout the scriptures of Paul saying, I consider everything else a loss compared to, sur- to the unsurpassing worth of Jesus Christ. And we hit on this in the first podcast episode, that when you're breaking the social norms, the cultural expectations of your family or your friends or your work, um, you're going to get criticized. It's going to be hard for you to be able to go against the grain. But I think in that same vein, when you start living radically, you're going to get criticized. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna face some opposition. And that's what we see Mary doing here. But I think for so many of us, we look at this and we just don't know how to relate. Like I, even today, like it's hard for me to think if Jesus were here, would I be able to pour out my life savings and wash his feet with it? Would I believe to that same extent? And I think this is the problem is that we look at this isolated event and we can't relate to it, but we need to look at her entire journey and see this progression of Mary getting more comfortable, getting more familiar at the feet of Jesus And then it becomes more clear. We talked about uh, Abraham being the father of failure before he became the father of faith. And we looked at that, you know, that event where he's willing to sacrifice Isaac and how hard it is for us to relate to that level of faith. But he didn't start that way. And it's like looking at somebody who's in incredibly good shape and just saying, I can never do that. I don't don't know how you do that. But if you're to watch their journey of four or five, six, seven years of slow and steady progress. Well, then it becomes more um, comprehensible, more relatable. It still takes a lot of faith, takes a lot of effort, but we can understand a little bit more. And as I was going through this passage again, it reminded me of this journey, a friend of mine who preaches in Glendale, uh, I think it's Glendale, Missouri. His name is Andrew Kirshner. He's the senior pastor there. But he talked about this idea of sanctification. 
And it's kind of a fancy Christian word, but all in all, sanctification is just the process of becoming more like Christ. It's growing and maturing in the faith. And he described it as going from the fear of the Lord to a co-heir with Christ. And so it was these three stages that when I first meet God and I learn of Jesus and I decide to follow him, I'm acting in the fear of the Lord. I'm starting to grasp that he is the creator of everything. And this is what he calls me to do. And because out of my understanding of who he is, I start to change my habits, my behaviors, my mindsets, because this is an all-powerful God. And so again, when we, th- when we say fear of the Lord, we're not talking necessarily about being terrified like in a horror movie, but it's this understanding of who God is, this reverence and respect for being the creator of everything. Not all of what he calls us to make sense during this time. I don't understand why, why this is wrong. Why is, it, why is it not okay for me to take care of myself first and other people? Why should I turn the other cheek? Things like that. But we, but we start to act because we're told to. So this is that fear of the Lord. You're almost like a, just a servant. But then later in the, the scriptures, Jesus talks to his disciples and says, you know, I've taught you everything that I know. I now call you friends. And that's the next stage that Andrew talks about is being this friend of Jesus. And the shift in the mindset that he shares as he teaches on it would be like, let's say you have a friend who's moving and it's your one day off that week. And the last thing you want to do is spend 10 hours helping a friend move. But because of that relationship, because you love that person, you're willing to give up that day and do what they're asking. It's not because they're high and powerful and mighty and you're, you understand who they are in, you know, in the community or in work, but it's because of your relationship to them that you're willing to go and do these things. So you've grown, you've, you've gotten closer to Jesus, you've gotten closer to the King of Kings. And so that's different. But then we see later in the scriptures that we're also referred to as co-heirs with Christ. Now, this is a different mindset and posture altogether as well. Whereas the first time I'm showing kindness and love when I don't want to because of who God is. And the second stage, being a friend of Jesus, I'm more prompted to do these things because of who Jesus is. I'm inspired by his love, uh, by this deep relationship that I'm forming with him. But this last time, this co-heir with Christ, well, that's different altogether because now I see the forest for the trees. I understand that this is true life, that getting to serve the poor, the hungry, the widows, the foreigners, that this is actually life. Life is not about pleasure. Life is not about pursuit of gain. This is life. And so the only way that I can think about being a co-heir with Christ is like when you go to a restaurant and you see the store manager, he's completely invested. He's bussing tables, he's seating people, he's delivering food. He's, he or she's just running around everywhere because they're so invested in the success of the restaurant. And I think about this idea of being a co-heir with Christ. I look at his kingdom as my kingdom. This is what I've been given, and I'm fully bought in. And so when we look at Mary's position here at the feet of Jesus, we can see that same thing. She's fully sold out. She's like, this is my king. This is my savior. Nothing else matters. And so when we look at this, we shouldn't become disheartened like, I can never get there. I can never develop a love so great like that of Mary. It's not true, but it just doesn't happen overnight. It's this journey consistently just going to the feet of Jesus in every situation, whether 
things are just mundane and monotonous, whether things are scary or whether things are really good. But I think about this posture. Mary is essentially bulletproof. What can you take from her because she has her Savior? Her treasure is not stored here on earth where moths can come in and destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. Mary is living for another kingdom altogether. She has totally opted out of this rat race that we all are trapped in. And I think it's such an inspiring scene to witness, to see how she's just bent over worshiping Jesus in this moment. And I want to end with this parable that I think gets new light when we read it after understanding and looking at an example like someone like Mary. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, Jesus is sharing this parable. And I'll read it for you really quickly. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, I've always found this parable to be an interesting one. And it did not make much sense until I started to learn more about the context of farming and agriculture and this idea of weeds and wheat. Now, there is a weed called a tare, T-A-R-E, or bastard wheat. And the thing about this weed is that it looks a lot like wheat. And you can Google the images and you can see at a distance, they look very similar to the actual wheat. But there is a major defining difference. As the wheat and the weeds grow up together, what happens is the heads of the wheat actually start to become heavy. And they become so heavy that the heads of the wheat start to bow over from the weight of the wheat. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. The hired help come to the owner and they say, there's weeds in these crops. And the owner tells them, yeah, but if you try to start pulling it out now, you might mistake some weeds for wheat and some wheat for weeds. Let them grow up together. And when it comes time for the harvest, we'll know exactly who is wheat and we'll know exactly who is weeds. And how will they know that? Because one will be bowed over and the other will be standing straight up tall. And you think about that, that posture of being bowed over. That's what Mary was doing. Mary was wheat through and through. At every walk of life, we see her bowed over. And I just think what a powerful illustration that Jesus was sharing with them. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divide, he talks about the same idea, that the only people that will be in hell will be the people too proud to want to go to heaven, that they won't want to be in the presence of Jesus. And when I think about this weed and wheat parable, it makes so much sense that when, when it comes time to harvest, there'll be two types of people, one standing straight up and the other bowed over. And so I hope you can see the beauty in this story. I hope you can see 
just the inspiration that Mary is to us today, that no matter where we're at or what we're doing, we understand the best place for us to be the best course of action, which is just to fall at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And we've shared it before that Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he just says, come to me, I'll give you rest. And so I hope that this little short series looking at Mary's life uh, was impactful. I hope you can see the beauty and the connections that Scripture is forming all over the place. There's so many of them. That's why we need to be reading consistently and in community with other believers. But I hope you found yourself encouraged, not just entertained, maybe even a little bit convicted, but never condemned. And I hope you realize that you are royal priesthood, that we are family, that God chose us before the creation of the world, and that he loves us dearly. So I hope you go out this week and you live like royalty, and I'll see you next week. I love you guys.